do turn in your Bibles to the letter of Jude. This is the second to last book of the New Testament. If you're having trouble finding it, because it is one chapter, just go to Revelation and turn back a page. I'm going to read Jude 1 and 2, and then 17 through 25. Before we hear God's word read, let's go to him again, asking for his help. Our gracious God, merciful God, abounding in steadfast love, we pray now that you would, by the light of your truth and the power of your spirit, cause us to see your precious word and its implications and applications for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hear now the word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is one thing to start a race and quite another to finish it. Many of us are really good at starting a project, but sometimes we perhaps wonder, will we end the project? That is to say, will we see it through to the very end? Whether it's learning a new language, working on a home project, reading the Bible in a year, getting a college degree, making a three-course meal, we start, sometimes do not finish our pursuits. We greatly value, we highly prize the idea of perseverance, but we have trouble persevering because it is, well, quite hard to keep on keeping on. John Piper once asked, how can you be sure that you will wake up a Christian tomorrow. The question is not, can you be sure that they will remain Christians, whoever they are? We know that many profess the faith, but end up demonstrating that they were not truly of Christ. And so we see many falling away. We, of course, know that many will persevere to the end, but that's all of them. What about us? How can you be sure that you wake up a Christian tomorrow? Many Christians 
at some point in their walks with Christ will ask that question of themselves. Are we entirely passive in perseverance? Or are we responsible to some degree? Well, Jude strikes the best, that is to say, the biblical balance on the one hand, of God's work of grace to preserve his people, and on the other, his people's joyful responsibility to persevere to the end. And what we see in this text is that Jesus keeps the elect in his love through apostolic proclamations and ardent prayers. Falling away was, back then and remains today, a real possibility for those in the covenant community. We remember from last time that the Lord, who saved a people out of the Egyptians' hands, then destroyed the same people because of their unbelief. Remember, they were happy to have the earthly blessings, but not the heavenly blessings. Jude, over and again, issues warnings and exhortations for his readers to persevere in the faith. He has called them to contend for the faith that's once for all given to them. This most holy faith has been given to the saints. It hasn't been given to the ungodly. It hasn't been given to the unrighteous. It's been given to the elect. It's been given to saints. And he has warned them over and over again. And he has said not to be a surrounding city that is touched by the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. He spoke of those who teeter-totter over the precipice of hell in need of snatching. Jude does not want us to adopt an approach that is common in churches, let go and let God. One way that Jesus has established for our perseverance and our preservation is the apostolic word. Again, look at verse 17 with me. But you must remember, beloved... The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. After mentioning the certain judgment awaiting the false teachers, these false prophets, these scoffers, Jude calls the people of God, all of us, to persevere. And to persevere through remembering. Jude wants us to remember. Remembering is active. It's not a passive endeavor. It is purposefully calling to mind the blessings of salvation we have, the great, wonderful works of God that he has wrought in the covenant community. We are to remember. We know that the Israelites failed to remember. Oh, they certainly remembered how apparently good they had it in slavery. All that wonderful food they had. They remembered that. But they failed to remember the Lord who rescued them. And then failed even to remember that great day that he has called them and us all to remember, the Sabbath day. Here, Jude calls us to remember the apostles and the predictions of the apostles, the word of the apostles. Jude says, in effect, we don't need to be surprised that there will be false teachers. The apostles predicted their presence. They said that these scoffers would come, and here they are. Some of them in your midst. Some of them taking the Lord's Supper with you. Some of them even teaching your men's Bible study. Some of them reading scripture from 
whatever it would have been, the pulpit back then. As long as the word of truth is being proclaimed, there will be those who deny it. So Jude is telling us, expect them. They are here, and they will always remain until Christ comes again. This call from Jude is really a call to the apostolic foundation that has been laid for us by the apostle, Jesus Christ himself. The words of the scoffers and the false teachers in Jude's day are on an entirely different level from that apostolic foundation. We're not talking here about apples and oranges. We're talking here about apples and poisoned apples. Corrupt fruit. On the one hand is is truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth. On the other hand, we have fully false fruit. Even if it is a truth that is mixed with error, because it taints the truth of Christ. It is an error that is used by Satan to deceive, to lead astray, if possible, the elect, and to defile the undefiled word of truth. That is his attempt. Although the gospel and the prosperity gospel share the word gospel, they are worlds apart. Even they share the theme of prosperity. Certainly, the Lord has made his people prosperous. And certainly that prosperity isn't only every holy spiritual blessing from the heavenlies. But in the Old and New Testament, we see even earthly prosperity at the hand of God. But of course, the prosperity gospel preachers will twist this and say that if you're not physically prosperous, then where is your faith? You are to blame, denying all the suffering that the apostles underwent, denying the great suffering that we are told to expect. And so we have just similar words, same words, really, prosperity, gospel, but entirely different. So there's a semblance of truth, but it's twisted. Let us then always be on our guard against false teaching. A hunter on the lookout for game is better equipped for finding it than he who just takes a stroll through the woods and sees what happens. At the same time, we contrast the apostolic proclamations with the true but uninspired writings. Perhaps you've been waiting for me to comment on verse 9 and verse 14. You say, well, when is Pastor Mock going to talk about these really weird verses? Things that we don't find in our Bible except for in Jude. Verse 14, it says that Enoch prophesied. And in verse 9, we wonder, well, when did Michael the archangel argue with the devil over the body of Moses? Well, search the Bible. You'll find in Enoch, but he did not prophesy. You'll find, certainly, a Moses. You'll find Michael the archangel. You'll find the devil. But no dispute about Moses' eventual destination and who gets him. Well, with reference to Moses, Jude alludes to the apocryphal, that is to say, non-canonical, not one of the 66 books of the Bible, 
He refers to the apocryphal testament of Moses. And this is part of a larger work called the Assumption of Moses, which is a rewriting of the end of Deuteronomy. And sadly, it is lost. We don't have it anymore. Here, what we do have of this, we've gained, we've got an idea as to what's going on that Judah is referring to. Well, Moses dies. Michael comes to bury the body. But the devil says, not so fast, Mike. You don't get to have him. Don't you remember that Moses was a murderer? He killed that Egyptian. You think that he gets then an honorable burial? Come on now. And... Michael the archangel wasn't the judge of all the earth, so what does he do? Jude mentions, he says, the Lord rebuke you. He stays in his angelic lane, something that the false teachers didn't do, as we saw in the first sermon of this month. They deny the position that God had put them in. And with Jude's reference to Enoch, the prophet, he cites what we know today as first Enoch. No church except for the Ethiopic church accepts this as Scripture. It is not the inspired Word of God. Even though Jude here picks up a brief prophecy from it and affirms from this prophecy the truth that the Lord will come again. And Jude does what we all do. Or maybe we could say we do what Jude does. We refer to well-known stories to speak of true things. We might speak of the Chronicles of Narnia to illustrate certain truths, but we shouldn't be viewed as we shouldn't be considered as viewing those writings of C.S. Lewis as inspired, though they illustrate truth, though they identify truth. And here, First Enoch is being used by Jude to highlight the inevitable judgment on the ungodly, something we already saw a few weeks ago. They cannot escape. The judgment of God. And before we took a month break in Jude here, we were studying Titus, and we've already seen Paul do the same thing when he quoted a Cretan. Remember that Cretan, Epimenides, said that all Cretans are liars. Well, that Cretan was not inspired by God. And we need not busy ourselves finding and buying all of Epimenides' works, though we could perhaps benefit from them. With these true but uninspired works, then we have apples and oranges. We have both good things. The latter, anyways, to some degree. But they are still on an entirely different level. The Word of God is the inspired truth. It is God's very voice to us. To use the imagery of light, all true but uninspired writings are but a candle, and the word of God is the sun from which all light comes. In fact, the psalmist says, in your light, O Lord, do we see light. And so Jude uses these men's writings to illustrate, even to identify truth, but that's not what he is calling us to. He's not calling us to remember Ephemenides. He's not calling us to remember the testament of Moses. He's calling us to remember the predictions, the proclamations, the word, the foundation of the apostles. 
The most holy faith is a gift delivered to the saints through the apostles of Christ our Lord. What do we do then with these predictions? What do we do then with these proclamations but avail ourselves of them? We are to avail ourselves of these proclamations first through daily Bible reading. This right here is where you and I are supposed to live. Right here in the Word. This is where we dwell. We abide in His Word and His Word abides in us. Personally, I'd love to read The Assumption of Moses. It sounds like a pretty exciting tale. And I've read First Enoch, read it in seminary years ago, and it was a, a cool read, very strange, very boring at times, but I'm glad I read it. But nowhere would I consider either of these works to be Scripture. And we're not called to consider these works Scripture. Now, in the eyes of some, it may border blasphemy, never to crack open the Lord of the Rings. You will be faulted in the eyes of man if you fail to read such great literature. But you won't be faulted by God. You will be faulted by God if you fail to remember his glorious word. Since that is what he calls you to every day, is to read his word. Do not follow those American evangelicals surveyed by Ligonier who just can't seem to agree that the Bible is 100% accurate at all that it teaches. Only 60% of adult evangelicals agree, strongly agree, that the Word of God is accurate in all that it teaches. Why is that not 100%? It's no wonder they don't read it. It's no wonder, then, that they are so easily deceived. Let us not be that kind of person, but rather let us avail ourselves of the Word of God. Pick it up. Read it every day, and read it because the Lord, by grace, has given you His Word. He, has, he didn't have to give you His Word. He didn't have to give you divine speech, but He has. Just over a week ago, when I was talking with the teen group. I, we're, we're nearing the end of our study on the doctrine of justification, and I gave them four options for our next study. I said, you can, we can go through another topical book like we have been doing. We could go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That'd be pretty cool, learning that. We could go through the Pilgrim's Progress. I'd, I'd read it to you, and we could talk about it. Or we can go through the Bible. And they all said, Bible. Not that the other three would have been wrong choices. They wanted the Bible. I said, okay. Now write anonymously on a sheet of paper which two books of the Bible you want to go through. And they submitted their, their answers. And I've not revealed to them which book we'll cover. Let's say it's near the beginning encouraging to to hear the teens say, let's have more Bible. This is the Word of God. We avail ourselves of apostolic proclamation, not only through Bible reading, but daily Bible reflecting. Renew your mind in Christ Jesus by reading, yes, but also by meditation. 
By, st- by stirring the word of God in your mind. Take captive the sinful thoughts that threaten your submission to his teaching. Take the time that you need, that you might ponder anew what God can do through, through his word. And take yourself to those various church offerings to come and to reflect together on his word. We have many opportunities. Covenant group, a men's Bible study. Just yesterday when we were considering John Calvin's life, we didn't stay just considering the man, as great of a man as he is, but we were brought into discussion about church unity and the Lord's Supper and the importance of church. We were brought back to the scriptures. And other women going through Second Kings have considered violence and sovereignty of God, goodness of God, and sinfulness of man. These are great opportunities to consider together with your brothers and sisters the glorious word. And you need that. We all do. We can also avail ourselves of the apostolic proclamation through Lord's Day remembering. The best way to use the apostles is to remember the Lord's Day. Make every effort to attend corporate worship. Yes, in the morning, but yes, in the evening as well. You know we have it first, third, and fifth Sundays. And these are opportunities to hear God's call to come and worship. This is not a guilt trip, but to be a little cheesy, a grace journey. Because this is another means of grace for you. As we looked at in question 88, the word, the sacraments, and prayer are the primary means whereby God is going to communicate to you by the power of his spirit, his very grace. Will you avail yourself of that grace? This is the Lord leading you to remind you of him, himself. Do you not, even just a few hours after morning worship, need to be reminded of his goodness, of his love, of his authoritative word, of his power, of his kindness, of his mercy, of his peace, of the unity you have with brother and sister? I know I do. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts, Psalm 65 says. You're blessed when you come into his courts. In Psalm 87, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. What this is telling us is that the Lord loves all of those covenant group gatherings. He loves all of those men's Bible studies, those women's Bible studies, the teen groups, and all of those other organic but unofficial gatherings of the people of God to study his word, to talk about it with one another, to sing his praises. But the Lord loves the most this very thing, what we're doing, this this covenant Worship here. Coming corporately for the express purpose of worshiping his holy name. That is what he loves most. 
And that is what we have the opportunity to do every Lord's Day, and sometimes twice. Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And night, perhaps we might say that a night in your courts is better than a thousand nights out on the town. John Bunyan, when he speaks of backsliders, he says, Then they, that is the backsliders, shun the company of lively and warm Christians. After that, they grow cold to public duty as hearing, reading, godly conference, and the like. What he's saying here is, yes, you have a public duty. You have the duty of assembling, because that's where you will hear and read God's word. But you have that duty with one another. God wants you to be preserved through the warm fellowship of one another. Prioritize public worship to maximize the grace of this apostolic teaching. Reading the Bible, reflecting on the Bible, remembering the Lord's day. In verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Jesus keeps his elect through his word and also through our prayers. Often we hear the question, since God has predestined his people, why evangelize? Why pray for them? And we evangelize them, we pray for them because we know that God has ordained not only the end, eternal life, but the means, the way to bring the people to the end, eternal life. In the same way, we use prayer as a God-given gift for our perseverance, for our preservation. How long will a marriage last if the couple refuses to speak to one another? Do you not want the daily, the, the regular communion with your God? Certainly you do. Then commit yourself to a lifestyle of prayer. God has spoken to you through his word, and it is our joy to speak back to him, to adore him, to ask for ourselves, and to plead on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Again, Bunyan, speaking of the backslider, says, they cast off by degrees private duties as closet prayer. Bunyan is calling us not only to the public duty of worshiping his name corporately, but also, if we want to avoid backsliding, he calls us to private duties. One being prayer. We avoid the way of backsliders who have walked the way that is devoid of the Spirit because we accept our daily dependence on the Spirit who gives life to us and is working through our prayers. We pray in the Spirit and we pray by the power of the Spirit because He has given us His irresistible grace and mercy that began and will certainly lead us to eternal life. Dear ones, pray in the Holy Spirit on whom our very Lord depended for prayer to his Father. And as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer and evening worship, we see the Spirit-wrought prayer prays according to the will of God. It prays for the kingdom of God. It prays in any and all circumstances. It prays for the glorification of the name of God. It prays everything with hope in God and humbly because he is God. I know that was fast summary, but that's just the summary of the sermons I've preached, and I won't re-preach them here. 
the prayers of the saints, are the morning and evening sacrifices, the incense rising heavenward. We ascend to the Father through the ladder of Jacob, the new Israel, even Christ himself. And the promises of God are the rungs of this heavenly ladder. And on each rung, we step through prayer, depending on God's word all the way upward. And from below each rung, as we ascend, it is the Spirit who spots us, who supports us, who moves us, our prayers upward, ever upward, into the Holy of Holies, ensuring that they have a place before God. Ours is a spiritual warfare. We put on the armor of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. And so let us, with prayer, then bathe the battle against the world, against the flesh, against the devil. Prayer to prepare for the battle. Prayer in the very heat of the attacks. Prayer to persevere. And perhaps a final prayer of thanks to God for his gift of perseverance, for his gift of preservation. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Remember the question from earlier, how can you be sure that you will wake up a Christian tomorrow? Jude assures us, he assures all of us who contend for this faith, this holy faith, this common salvation, that as we by grace persevere, we will by grace be preserved. The Lord will lead us to our eternal home. Jude begins and ends emphasizing this marvelous divine grace of perseverance. We saw in verse 1 that we are beloved in God and so kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. The Greek can go either way. With multiplied mercy, peace, and love, how can we not be assured our endurance? When there are new mercies every morning, there's new graces given because of the work of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, certainly then he will cause us to endure. And who can forget the doxology? Now to him be all praise. Why? Because he is able to keep you from stumbling. Well, who is this he? Christ himself. We keep ourselves in the love of God as we take advantage of the proclamations of the apostles and as we pour forth ardent prayers in the Spirit. And we keep on because Christ keeps us by his mighty mercy and by his infinite grace. We who are kept by Christ will also be led by the same glorious Christ to the Father. The Son is able to keep us in his love. He's able to energize us through his spirit to keep us in the fight. He has all of dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. But is he willing? He's able. He has all authority. Does his heart so incline to preserve his people? Is the arm of Christ too short that it cannot save? Certainly not, for his outstretched arms brought salvation at the cross. Are his feet too slow that the enemies of your sin, the world, and the devil will one day catch up with you, overtake you, and bring you back into the darkened and deadly kingdom? 
Certainly not. For the joy set before him, he set his face like flint, and by his holy feet he fled to the cross. How can Christ present you blameless with great joy if he leaves you behind? Not only is your joy at stake, dear ones, but so is his. You are too precious in the sight of our, love, of our loving Lord to lose you. And the joy of his Father, that is his strength, is too holy for him to neglect you. The gift of faith to believe in the gospel and to keep believing in the gospel is not a gift that Jesus takes back. We then end in no better way than does Jude, in delightful doxology for his full grace. Oh, praise God that he did not leave us totally depraved, but is working for our total transformation into the image of the Son. And praise God for electing us unto salvation, for for knowing us, predestining us, calling us, justifying us, adopting us, and glorifying us. Praise God for the full atonement that is the possession of the beloved in God. Praise God for his irresistible grace and mercy through his irresistible spirit. And praise God for the gifts of perseverance and preservation. The Lord sits in the heavens and he does everything that pleases him. So praise the Lord that it pleases him with great joy to save us and to keep us in his love. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, glorious Son, and irresistible Spirit, we thank you for your servant Jude. We thank you that we were able to see the doctrines of grace through this wonderful letter. Transform us, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray, from one degree of glory to the next. In Jesus' name, amen.